And here we go. That's right. You jumped out of the plane. You pulled the cord. And you landed safely in Red's line. I'm your host, Jared Roberts of Red's Nation number 4192. And we're going to get into this little thing we call the destruction of the Miami Marlins. It was a crazy game, ladies and gentlemen, because there was base running errors that would just made you, like, pull out your hair. And then, for some reason, there's these five home runs that go off. And at the end of it, you're sitting up two touchdowns. Well, let's get into it. So, you got Jose Urena of the Miami Marlins versus Luis Castillo, formerly of the Miami Marlins, and now sitting atop the Cincinnati Reds starting rotation. Well, let's just talk about Luis Castillo and get him out of the way because this guy has been amazing. This is his third start in a row of amazing baseball. Okay. There's a crazy stat out there that he's only the second pitcher in the live ball era. That means post-1920. To start out three games with eight-plus strikeouts and two hits or less. Guess who the other pitcher was? I'll just, you know, sit around and wait for a second and see if you want to try and Google it. But I'm telling you, uh, you're probably not going to guess. Well, I'll tell you who it was. It's Randy Johnson. And that was in 1997. Yes, that's right. Basically, that long ago, 22 years. So, what can you say about Luis Castillo? The guy was dominant. In three starts, he's covered 19 and two-thirds innings. He's only allowed two earned runs off of five hits, eight walks, 25 Ks. He's got a .92 ERA. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've never really included Luis Castillo in Walt Jockney's great acquisitions because when he first got traded for in the Dan Straley trade, I was like, man, this guy profiles as a reliever, you know, but that was before he really had a handle of this changeup. This changeup is devastating. And when I say devastating, I don't mean like just normal devastating. I mean like Johan Santana can't even touch it devastating. So Luis Castillo you're going to be probably number one or number two on my good things list. Seven innings, 95 pitches, eight strikeouts, only one walk. The guy was absolutely amazing. You got to hand it to Castillo. And in fact, you got to give it to the Reds front office because I do criticize them a lot. But in this case... Their whole idea about putting Castillo, the opening day starter, which a lot of people were like, what's going on here, was to get him in the mental mind. We've, we've talk, I talked about it before in uh, the Reds line in these podcasts, how that was why the Reds made the decision, and I was like, ah, I kind of see it, you know? Basically, they wanted Castillo to be in the frame of the mind that, hey, 
you're the ace, you're going to act like the ace, we're going to start you as the ace, opening day starter. So you've all heard me say, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, whatever like a duck, it's probably a duck. So basically, that was the Reds' coronation of Luis Castillo to be the ace, and they want him to feel like it. And you know, like I said, and when I even talked about this earlier, as far as from rodeo and being a professional athlete myself, you know, in sports, they say a lot of it's like 90% mental. So that's where I was saying, yeah, I can kind of see why they're doing this with Castillo. I would have never thought he would be this dominant because of one thing, the walks. But like today, he only had that one walk, and he only allowed two hits. So over seven innings, eight Ks, two hits, no runs, one walk. And let me tell you something. If he can just keep pounding that strike zone and be around one walk or zero walks a game, I'm telling you what, he'll get deeper in games because that's the only reason I think he got pulled because he was at 95 pitches. And I'm not saying he couldn't have went back out there. I'm not going to say they should have put him back out there. I'm not saying they shouldn't have or should have. He was at 95 pitches over seven. And, yeah, it is his third start of the year. So you don't want to just run him out there, run him in the ground. But he did have a two-hitter going, so... At 95 pitches, you're thinking, well, if he goes out for the eighth, if he can get out of there under you know, 10, 12 pitches, he'll still be under 100 pitches over eight innings, and that's really good efficiency for a starter. So, anyway, Luis Castillo, hats off to you. You're in uh, rare air territory when you're getting talked about being uh, with uh, Randy Johnson. So, you know what? I hope you turn into Randy Johnson. I, I doubt you're going to pitch you like 270 innings or 260 or 250. But, man, I hope you just keep rolling with that changeup because, uh, you know, that changeup is so good. I kept calling it devastating. I mean, you're looking at maybe a Cy Young candidate if I'm not under the ether yet, but if he just keeps a hold of that uh, changeup, and when these teams make adjustments to him, he can adjust back to those adjustments and keep that changeup, keep him off off pace. Because the thing about Castillo is, and the reason Johan Santana was so devastating with that changeup, we might have to change this Reds line show to call it devastating, but uh, the arm angle and the release is so similar. And that's why the changeup is so devastating. <laughs> there it is again on Johan Santana and Luis Castillo. I mean, this changeup, you're thinking it's coming in there at 95 miles an hour, and all of a sudden you're swinging at it, and it's like 83, 86. And so it's called pulling the string. And nobody was better at it than Johan Santana, or Santana, sorry. And now Luis Castillo, he's just got this thing on a yo-yo. So, let's get to this two-touchdown, 14-to-nothing lambasting of the Miami Marlins. So, this is where it gets kind of interesting. We're, I'm watching this game, and I'm like, they're hitting the ball really, really hard. And it's really, uh, 
you know, they're finding some holes. And I'm like, this is really cool because in the bottom of the first, uh, Joey Votto was able to just launch this baseball. And I mean, I thought it was a home run. And I think everybody else thought it was a home run. And he ended up getting a double. And then the next thing you know, you got Suarez up. And he drives the ball into the outfield. And Votto scores. So they go up one another. But Castillo gets caught in a rundown. And I'm like, man, I mean, these guys, this is like base running 101. This is the reason they're losing games. And you, and you don't think they're going to put up a you know, 14 spot. So you're like, man, every base runner counts, especially when you're stringing together hits. So anyway, then in the third inning, kind of the same thing happens. Um, Matt Kemp gets on, Suarez is on, and then uh, Scott Shebler hits this baseball in the right field and Kemp scores, so they go up two to nothing. And then Suarez gets caught at third. So, like, in back-to-back base running appearances, you're like, Suarez, what are you doing, man? Like, you really like Suarez because he's an all-star last year. He got over the 100 RBI plateau after being hit by the, I think the Pirates hit him last year and broke uh, his hand or something. And uh, that, that's neither here nor there. But, you know, you're really pulling for this guy because you're like, man, if he can play this whole season, maybe he'll knock out 40 home runs, 120 RBIs, and we'll have, like, this uh, huge cornerstone here. And that's why it was so frustrating on on uh, Suarez's running errors. And then, so I want to talk about Jesse Winker. He's hitting the ball really hard. Like, like just his, uh, before this uh, fourth inning, his uh, hard uh, swing percentage of, like, striking the baseball was, like, a 36-plus percent. And that's pretty good because that means, like, he's hitting, like, barreling it up and he's really driving the ball 36% of the time. So you're – and so he's just running into really bad luck. And I've talked about it before and documented it on Red's line how he's just, like, killing the baseball, but he's driving it right towards people. Well – I'm sitting here watching this game, and you got Tucker Barnhart, who's just having a great offseason. And, you know, I know I've talked about trading Barnhart. I'm still for that, and I'm not going to back off of it because the Padres have a great uh, minor league system, and the Reds really need to fix their pipeline, and catching is a part of the Reds they have some depth in besides their 58 left fielders. So back to this game. Barnhart's on, and Jesse Winker's up there, and he filled Mickelson's, this baseball, to the opposite field, and it was like this ball that just kept going. It was, like, really impressive. And if you know what Phil Mickelson means, you know he's a golfer, and he, like, slices this thing to left field, basically, the wink does, and it's a home run, and you're like, did, did Jesse Winker just hit an opposite field home run off a of Phil Mickelson uh, slicing swing? And you're like, wow, now the Reds are up uh, four to nothing. And you're like, whoa, Castillo's on the mound. If this guy can go seven innings, we're going to probably get out of here with a win. And so you're like really happy. 
Because, you know, Jesse Winkers, remember I was talking about just yesterday, he's batting under like, you know, under 50 cents or something, whatever I said, 43 or 48, whatever it was, he's batting really bad. And I think it goes back to being more comfortable in later in the order, in the fifth, sixth, seventh hole. And if you'll remember, at the entire start of this entire uh, Reds line, I always said Jesse Winker needed to be hitting seventh behind Peraza because you didn't want to go Winker sixth and Peraza seventh because of double play situations. And that was when I was telling you that Nick Senzel needed to be the leadoff hitter and kind of come up like Carlos Correa did of the Houston Astros, start off leading off. But then you know what the Reds' front office did, and the rest is history. So then Winker's back up to leadoff because he, he is a high OBP guy. But I heard him on Major League Baseball's uh, radio when he took over in spring training, and he really talked about how he was super comfortable in that five, six, seven hole. So it kind of changed my mind about him. But he did make sense to be the leadoff guy at the start of the season with the pieces that they had. So anyway, Luis Castillo is rolling, just annihilating every Marlins hitter. And we get to the bottom of the sixth. And Jesse Winker's up to bat again. You got Peraza on. You got Barnhart on. Barnhart's tearing it up. Jesse Winker hits this baseball so hard that it divots under the second baseman's mitt. I think there was a shift, so it might have been the shortstop over there. Maybe it was Castro. I can't remember. I'd have to go back and look at the replay. But he divots this baseball so hard. Like I said, the guy is swinging almost 40% hard line drives. And I mean like hard hitting. I'm not saying the line drives, but his hard hit percentage is like almost 40%, like 36% plus. So he divots this ball so hard that it goes right under the, 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 the infielder's glove and into the right field. And Pete O'Brien, who used to be with the Royals, he's playing right field for the uh, Marlins. The ball goes under his mitt for an error. So v Winker gets an RBI. He doesn't get credit for the second run to score because it was an error. And he gets uh, advances to second. So you're thinking, man, I'm so proud of Jesse Winker. The guy's got like uh, three RBIs now, which the Reds had three batters with three RBIs today. So that's another good thing. I don't know if my good thing list is going to be able to hold all these good things. But we've had such a lack of good things that maybe we can make it work for the Game 10 recap. So back to this crazy sixth inning. So uh, Jesse Winker's there. And then Votto gets on because Votto gets hit by Chen. And, man, I thought Joey Votto was going to rush this pitcher, Chen. But he comes out onto the infield grass with the baseball bat in hand. And I'm like, man, this is going to be like Pittsburgh versus Cincinnati too, except we're going against the Miami Marlins. Well, Votto grabs the baseball, tosses it back to Chen, throws his bat over towards the clubhouse, and goes to first. And then you're watching Joey Votto give, like, these uh, hand signals that he's okay, didn't even hurt or whatever, because the Reds' clubhouse, well, anyway, the umpire, I haven't told you this, the umpire warns both benches, which Chen clearly just missed. It wasn't intentional. Uh, 
The umpire warns both pitches, and that really got the Reds pissed because of this Pittsburgh Pirates thing where the Reds pitchers aren't hitting anybody, but why are they getting warned? So while they're giving this umpire a hard time, Jesse Winker and Chen are like talking back and forth doing the sign language. He's okay. And I think Joe Ivano might have invented some kind of new sign language to uh, get through like some bilingual barriers here in baseball. But anyway, let's go back to what happens next. So Matt Kemp's up. And Matt Kemp, if he just plays every day, he's going to hit like this. Matt Kemp has a beautiful right-handed swing. It's, it's long, I'm not going to lie. Matt Kemp has a long swing. But, man, he's so pretty. I mean, he's not pretty. Well, maybe he is pretty. I don't know. But his swing is so pretty from the right-hand side. He catches this baseball from Chen, and it's a majestic shot to right field. Now, it's not no moonshot like Derek Dietrich, but it's this opposite field home run that just is towering. And I just feel like, if Kemp gets going on this, he could really, you know, hit 30, 35 home runs, maybe even set career highs with the Cincinnati Reds for home runs. And am I saying I still think he, his salary should be pivoted to the Diamondbacks? Absolutely. But we are, you know, we have lemons. we got to make a lemonade. So when I talk about Kemp and, the, and, and uh, his abilities and what he can do, you don't pigeonhole me back in what I've said because I'm still sticking to that. But here, we go with limits. So Matt Kemp hits his three-run home run. It's his first home run as a Cincinnati Red. That gets a monkey off his back. He's going to be more comfortable. But the key is he needs a start, and that's what Matt Kemp's been doing. He's been getting starts. So anyway, this is the second home run of the game. And then Suarez comes up against Chen. Suarez takes this hack, and finishes with his left hand. One-handed, hits this monster, crushing, high fastball. Well, I didn't mean high fastball. I mean this high drive. And this ball is majestic, too. So you got this weaker, majestic home run opposite field. you got this majestic Matt Kemp home run opposite field to the right field bleachers instead of the left field bleachers. And then you got this Suarez one-handed thing that's just like on a, you know, a rail, like going up in the air and lands. I mean, you're almost thinking it's going to be a second deck shot, but it, it didn't. But man, it was up there. And you're like, holy Toledo, is this really happening? So at this point, the Reds are up 10 to nothing because Kemp had just put him up 9 to nothing. So then... My favorite player on the entire team, Scott Shebler, that's sarcasm, comes up, and he hits an opposite field home run. And it's like the Reds just went back to back to back. And this is the first time in seven years. The last time they even did this was the craziest back to back to back situation you've ever heard in your life. The last time it was like uh, Cozart, Leak, and Drew Stubbs in 2012. And so now, the funny thing is you got this Dodger dichotomy in these back-to-back-to-back home runs uh, in the fact that it was Kemp, Suarez, and Shebler. So you got a Dodger, a Tiger, and a Dodger going back-to-back-to-back. So, yeah, it's kind of weird because 
The last time it was all homegrown Reds. This time it's all acquired players. Don't get me on some kind of a deal where Jockety is good at trading because I don't want to go down that pathway. This was just a really weird situation of offensive, like, you know, blowing up here. So anyway, let's get back to this game. So then the Reds are up 11 to nothing. And that's the sixth. So after the sixth inning, I'm kind of upset because Freddie Benavides pulls this Dusty Baker move where he pulls Joey Votto. And I'm like, well, Joey Votto has a couple more innings to get in on this game. He's hitting the ball pretty hard. But their whole deal is let's rest Joey Votto. He's in his mid-30s. We're up 11 to nothing. We don't need him. So what do they do? They move Dietrich over to first base, and they bring in Kyle Farmer. So what happens in the bottom of the seventh? Barnhart's on again for some reason. I guess he's got a free pass to get on base now. Lorenzen's on. Lorenzen came in, um, pitched two innings, was really effective, didn't have a lot of pressure because the Reds were up like, you know, you know, almost two touchdowns at this point. And anyway, to make a long story short, so Kyle Farmer's first at bat, he jacks a three-run home run. So Winker, Kemp, and Kyle Farmer had three RBIs on the on the day, which that's got to be in the good things. So, but I want to say that, again, this is coming off of Chen, who had a really horrible spring. So the Reds did put up four against Urena, a great pitcher, and then they put up 10 against a really struggling pitcher. So keep that in mind. So anyway, this game is really just taken on a whole other level. But like I said, the Reds went back to the basics. What they did was they start they they uh, went in and and just put the pitching machine on fastballs only and just uh, took BP and just started to try and get good wood on the ball. And that's what kind of translated for this game is because they just went up there and they tried to put the ball in play. And that's what I, I've been wanting to talk about forever. And that's why Peraza was successful. Peraza doesn't walk a lot. He doesn't strike out a lot. But he puts the ball in play. And the, what the Reds have got to do is got to make contact and just keep putting the ball in play. Because the greatest thing about this game was the Reds are, were 1-8, and eight, all right? Now they're 2-8. and eight. So what I got to tell you is this kind of game can get them back on the right track. <clears throat> and the last time this team was 1-8, and eight, all I'm going to tell you was 1995. And then... In 1995, after starting out 1-8, and eight, do you know what happened? Anybody? Anybody want to tell me? After they went 1-8, and eight, they went on an 18-3 and three run to climb into first base. Or first place, not first base. So in 1995, the Reds went 1-8 to start the season. And then they went on an 18-3 and three run to climb into first place. They wound up winning the National League Central that year. In the strike shortened year, which, you know, the rest is history. And I got to love those uniforms. Remember, they had the sleeveless uniforms and they had the pinstripes. Those were awesome. I wish they'd bring them back, like, all the time. So, anyway, 
To make a long story short, this is what the Reds' offense needed to get the monkey off their back, to get the elephant out of the room, and I thought it was a great idea that they went and put the uh, pitching machine on fastballs and everybody got their cuts in over before this game and they went to make contact. Because you can tell the difference, ladies and gentlemen, if you've been watching these games like I watch every single game. You could tell the difference on, and it wasn't just aggressiveness. It was actually following through on the swings to make contact. And I think if this offense just keeps doing that, like we've talked about on Red's line, Castillo, Gray, Male are going to be really good this year, I feel. With Tanner Rourke going to hopefully give him over 200 innings and be the horse that ties this whole rotation together in the middle of it. They got a good makings to be able to make a run here. Now, am I satisfied with the roster? No, I'm not satisfied with the roster. Do I want some changes? Yes, they got to be proactive. You know what I'm saying? The thing with Disco uh, the other night in Pittsburgh is alarming, but here's the problem. They're probably going to give him another two months to see what he's got. I think they need to make a move. That's just my opinion. Okay, so let's go with three good things. First off, I'm going to probably just say it because you got to give the Reds offense the number one good thing. 14 to nothing. Three Reds with three RBIs. The funny thing is the only guy without a hit that started this game was, yeah, that's right, you guessed it, uh, long ball swatter admirer Derek Dietrich went 0 for 4 today. He did get on base with a walk, but... The one guy you think is going to just, you know, if, if everybody else is teeing off, you're thinking Dietrich's going to tee off, which reminds me, in that sixth inning when they go back to back to back, Derek Dietrich's first ball uh, swinging, and, man, he almost got a, a fourth home run in a row. It just ended up foul. But, man, he'd give that ball a ride. But, anyway, the Reds' offense gets the good thing. They had a total of 16 hits and 14 runs. And I want to tell you what else. They were under 10 strikeouts. They only struck out nine times. Now, I know when I say only nine times, you're like, well, that's nine times. Hey, trust me. <laughs> if the Reds strike out less than 10 times a game, that's going to be really great because that means they're hitting the ball in play like today and they're, and they're moving runners. And those runners are going from base to base to base and crossing home plate as long as they don't get picked off or thrown out like Suarez did today. Anyway, so what other good things? I want to talk about Matt Kemp. Two for five, two runs, three RBIs. He's almost hitting a buck 50 right now. And I just feel like if they keep starting him, he's going to be able to be very good for this offense. And I think... Based on what I'm seeing, I think they're going to keep with this lineup because why wouldn't you keep this lineup uh, besides maybe moving Winker to the seventh hole and moving Dietrich up? That's what I was going to suggest. They ought to probably move Dietrich to uh, lead off and uh, have Peraza hit sixth and Winker hit seventh. But anyway, so what other good thing do we have? Oh, 
I can't even believe I'm not even forgetting about this. Luis Castillo, what can you say? Seven innings, two hits, no runs, one walk, eight Ks. But the one thing I want you guys to understand about this is the walk. The walk is so important because he was at 95 pitches through seven innings. That means he's being more efficient. And the problem is with this team is that we had a lot of games where these guys weren't even making it to five innings or just five innings. And that that's when the walks were crazy. So that one walk is the most significant thing I can tell you about watching these Reds pitchers, especially Castillo. Because if he can limit his walks, he'll be more pitch efficient, and we'll have more Castillo getting into the seventh. And I hope, you know what, I'm really hoping that Castillo takes pride in getting to the seventh inning. Because if he can do that with Rourke getting to the seventh, this is going to change the whole entire complexity of this team. So let's go on to one more good thing, and we'll move to the bad things. Lorenzen, you know he's been beat up quite a bit, being overused. I liked how Freddie Benavides, who I've, you know, I'm no super big fan of Freddie Benavides, but that's the other thing that was kind of ironic about this. I'm sitting here beating up Freddie Benavides and saying we need to bring in Wally Backman. And I still stand by that. 100% stand by that. Because I want to point out to you that they only had to make one pitching change. And they brought in Michael Lorenzen. This wasn't a situation where they're just picking uh, relievers out of, out of a hat. You know, where you go back and listen to... The Game 9 recap, you'll understand what I'm saying. So when Freddie Benavides pulls uh, Castillo after seven innings, ladies and gentlemen, that's the part of the thing I'm trying to tell you, is that he just pulled in Lorenzen. Lorenzen pitched great. Lorenzen went two innings, two hits, no runs. He did walk a batter, and he struck out four. You can't ask for a better performance than that. Four strikeouts over two innings for Lorenzen. And he wasn't super efficient because he had that walk. But it was only 32 pitches over two innings. And that's pretty perfect for Lorenzen to be around uh, 25 to 35 pitches because he is a power pitcher. He does get Ks. And, you know, that is four strikeouts out of a possible, like, six or or seven batters you're going to face. So that's why that pitch count got up a little higher. So, let's go to the bad things. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? I can't think of one bad thing. Wait, no, I can. I just wish I could edit this show, but I can't. I just got to roll on 18-wheeler. Suarez, my friend, you have got to be more wherewithal of where the outfielder is throwing the baseball. You could have stayed on... The base, bases twice today and possibly scored more runs. Because here's the deal. Now, I am not, there is a butterfly effect in the fact that Suarez got out twice and how the rest of the game set up. So I'm not going to say that. But, ladies and gentlemen, what I'm trying to say is you can't get thrown out twice in consecutive base running appearances when. The offense have been hard to come by. That's all I want to say because I really hate to put Suarez in the bad things list today, but that base running was horrible. And my point here is that the Reds aren't going to put up two touchdowns every game. So 
every time they get a base runner, they can't be getting thrown out on the base paths nonchalantly like Suarez was. And uh, I'm just happy that the Reds' offense overshadowed those two base running blunders by Suarez because, you know, I think that might be my only bad thing of the day today. Now, I'll look around a little bit, see what else I can find. But, you know, other than that, that's it. You know, this game was probably the best thing that happened to the Reds because they took that BP, they had the fast, the pitching machine on fastballs. All they tried to do was make good contact, and that's what translated into the game. And ladies and gentlemen, if they just stay on that mark and they just try and put the ball in play instead of trying to win every game with a home run, Try to wait for the next guy to do it. If they just take every at-bat at a time like Votto does and try to get good wood and barrel up that baseball, this is what's going to happen. The offense has the capability to lead the league in home runs and runs pretty handily. Well, the Brewers are probably going to lead the league in home runs. But you never know what the Reds' offense. If Votto goes off, Suarez goes off, Kemp and Puig do what they're capable of doing, Dietrich gets enough starts, Shebler hits, you know, what he's going to do. Jeanette gets back up. I mean, you know, the Reds could give the Brewers a run for the money on the home run charts. But uh, where do we go from here? Well, ladies and gentlemen, what can I say? Do I think they need to bring in a veteran bench coach? Absolutely. I'm not going to knock Freddie Benavides again. Like I said, he only had to make that one pitching choice today. It was pretty easy. It was Lorenzen, and why wouldn't it be Lorenzen? If you look at the entire season, you'll understand. Well, yeah, of course Freddie Freddie Benavides picked Lorenzen because that's who gets picked every game almost. So Lorenzen just didn't have any pressure. All he had to do is go play catch with Tucker, and the rest is history. Two innings, four Ks, you know what I mean? So... Um, back to this, I think they need to bring in a new bench coach. Wally Backman is my choice to help the team, especially with base running. Wally Backman was all, was not only a great second baseman, he was also in the mold of Pete Rose as far as hustling and a great uh, base runner. So Wally Backman would really help this team out a lot. I still feel they need to make a trade, shake up the roster, get rid of one of their 79 outfielders or 79 left fielders and, you know, kind of make this team a little bit better fit. Um, would love to bring in a starter. The bench is playing pretty good. I still really feel they need to go down to seven relievers and have an extra bench bat. Phil Irvin nearly needs to be on this team. What else can you say? We Reds Nation, we got to just... Be positive. We got to watch this game and appreciate it for what it was because you can't go crazy and think, oh, well, all the problems are gone. This is the Miami Marlins, and that was Chin. Okay? So let's hope that this was like a mini spring training for the Reds lineup. That's the best you can hope for. And let's hope that this little mini spring training game helps them to face tougher competition and be better prepared moving forward because that's what I really think the difference is. Is because you can hear all the post game shows and all the uh, 
water carrying and all the excuse making that the local Cincinnati media does, and they'll be fawning over this two touchdown win. But the problem here is is that this is the Miami Marlins, and that Chen was just throwing gopher balls up there. So you got to bring some uh, you got to bring some uh, real world time information and some reality into the situation before you go, hey, 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 it's all great. We're here. Uh, No problem. Forget that whole little uh, seven-game slide, the two sweeps in a row, or uh, eight-game slide, the two sweeps in a row. Uh, Nothing to see there, ladies and gentlemen, because that's what the media in Cincinnati does. The local media in Cincinnati is not like the media in New York. And I'm not saying the New York media is great, but at least they hold – that team and that owner and those general managers accountable. And that's what you can't say about this local media. They're more they're more worried about, you know, being at the Chamber of Commerce uh Monday uh once a month uh get togethers and drinking and rubbing elbows. So to make a long story short, this is a great thing for the Reds. I'm not gonna say it's not, but we need to keep some reality into it. I just literally described the little mini spring training um, situation that I thought would be the best case scenario to move forward onto some better teams because this is the best thing that could have happened. You know, now would I like this to go down against the Cardinals or the you know the Brewers or the Dodgers? Yes, that would have been awesome, but this game really is going to help this lineup be more efficient. And I think if they just tinker with it, move Dietrich to lead off, Winker to seventh, or sixth or seventh, they can do whatever they want. I just think if you do Peraza sixth, Winker seventh, you eliminate a lot of double play baseballs that will be our inning killers. So I really think you got to go Peraza sixth, Winker seventh, Barnhart eighth, pitcher ninth. So... Anyway, what else can we say before we close out this glorious edition of Red's Line? Well, I just want to give a congratulations to Matt Kemp for his first Cincinnati Reds home run. I even want to congratulate Shebler for hitting that opposite field home run. I want to congratulate Jesse the Wink, Jesse Winker, for that Phil Mickelson Golf shot that was just, you were just in awe of it. Not Derek Dietrich, stand there, grill some steaks, and then run around the bases shot. But it was still a pretty awesome uh, opposite field home run. And I'll tell you another thing, ladies and gentlemen, had to get one more of them in. The fact that these guys are hitting the ball to the opposite field on uh, Shebler's home run, Winker's home run, and Kemp's home run, man, that's when you know they're really swinging the bat good because they're driving the baseball to the opposite field. And that'll translate and reverberate over the next few games and hopefully throughout the season. Because if you can get in that kind of groove, man, the baseball is just looking like softballs. And um, that's all I can really say about that. But now we can close out Red's line. And how should we close out Red's line? Everybody get a good night worth of sleep. We'll be back tomorrow. And you have just entered and you survived Red's Line.